Welcome to the Holistic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Susan Scollin, and each week I interview everyday people who have transformed their health and the amazing souls supporting them on their journey. Be inspired. Today I'm talking again with the passionate Sarah Rusback. Sarah is a qualified health and wellness coach an accredited grey area drinking coach, host of Perth Sober Socials, a meetup group in WA for women to meet and socialise without booze, and a passionate ambassador for Australia's growing alcohol-free movement. Sarah's own journey to giving up alcohol began in April 2017, when she identified her relationship with alcohol had become problematic in terms of her mental health, well-being, and general physical health. She began a quest to learn more about alcohol, its impacts on her brain and body, its impact on her hormones as she entered the perimenopause years, and why she was becoming increasingly anxious and depressed every time she drank. Since then, Sarah has left her career as an executive recruiter and career coach to focus completely on women's health, their relationship with alcohol, specifically those stuck in the grey area where Sarah was for many years and supporting them to build new coping strategies outside of alcohol for when they feel stressed, tired, lonely, and anxious. You'll remember Sarah from episode 57 of my podcast. It's called Alcohol Free. If you haven't heard that, please head back and listen to that as well to hear her journey. It's had over 170 downloads, which is just huge. I say that in bold and caps. And she's an absolute inspiration. And today we talk about all the things that come up for you when you stop drinking, how she's helping women through that and what happens afterwards. Because for so many of us, we can't see the bigger picture. And when alcohol has been such a big part of our lives, it's okay to have no idea, but this is where the fun really kicks in. So have fun diving into this episode. Sarah and I would also love to hear what resonated with you with this episode. So head over to my, um, to Susan Scollin on Instagram or Facebook business page. You'll find the post for this episode and let us know. See you on the inside. Welcome, Sarah, back to my Holistic Health Podcast. This is going to be great fun. I know that we had an awesome time talking um, in episode 57 about your journey moving away from drinking alcohol and that being on the ready and you've been dry or alcohol-free now for two years, which is an incredible achievement. So congratulations on achieving that. But really excited to dive in and go deeper today that we're going to do. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me back on. And thank you so much to all your listeners, because um, so many of them, you know, have reached out and said um, that they really enjoyed our conversation. And so many of my listeners um, said they really enjoyed it. You definitely went really deep with the questions last time, probably a lot deeper than I've gone on other podcasts. But I love going deep. And I think that's what people want to do. And that's what they want to know. And so thank you for, for providing this platform. Oh, you're so welcome. And like I said to you, my journey, you know, started, oh, God, I can't even remember. I've been three years or four years without alcohol. Um, It was just a slow process for me, but I know that was a different process for you and it's a different process for everybody that goes through this. So I think it's a really um, critical time to have these conversations. Um, Doesn't matter what stage you're at in life, like it looks different for everybody. You know, I'm in my 40s and I spoke to a group of women who are in their 40s who are going through, you know, the next stage of life and moving, transitioning into menopause and and how alcohol was playing a part with them. And I shared the podcast with them, which they've gone and listened to and, and had some light bulb moments in that space, which has been really, you know, beneficial. But what I kind of wanted, what we can talk about today is some of those 
problem areas that they're going to hit along the journey of giving up alcohol. Because as I shared with you before, people go, well, I'm no longer going to be fun if I'm not drinking alcohol. And I think that's such a it's such a lie. It's a lie that we tell ourselves and it's a loving lie that we tell ourselves because we want to be fun and we want to get along with everybody, but we're forgetting ourselves in the middle of that. So can you dive in and start talking and then I'll ask questions and we'll go and see where this goes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such a valid point, um, Susan, because I think my biggest fear was I'm going to have no social life. I'm going to be boring. Um, I'm going to have no friends if I stop drinking. Um, it's interesting because I've just been writing a workbook. I'm running a dry July challenge. And this time in my July alcohol-free challenge, I'm providing a workbook to everyone that joins the challenge. And there's some really deep, thought-provoking questions in the workbook for people to answer. Um, because I think it's important to face up to some of our fears. And my biggest fear, because one of the questions is, what's your biggest fear around considering a life or a period of time without alcohol? And for me, it was most definitely, I, I won't have friends, I won't have a social life. And the reason being, I'd never done any socializing without alcohol before. It had been ingrained in me from the age of 15 that every time we socialized or did anything, it was always with alcohol. Um, and generally speaking, I mean, I was terrible. I will be the first one to say that when I was a drinker, if someone said to me, oh, I'm going to drive on Friday night, I'd be like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Don't even think about it. Come on, we need to get pissed. I mean, I was terrible. So I hold my hands up to that as a complete hypocrite now that I'm on the other side of that. But what I will say is that it is fear that holds so many of us back from considering um, a life without alcohol being boring and, and everything else. But it's not. So the, the, mo the biggest thing that I would say is this. People say to me all the time, isn't it really boring? And I say no. I said, there's two things that I'll say to that. It's really boring depending on who you're with. So it's not boring until the people become boring. And when people start repeating themselves 25 million times, yes, that can become quite boring. So know when to leave. That's the first point. I go, I have a great time. I enjoy my alcohol-free drinks. I love getting dressed up. I do all of that. But when it's starting to get really messy, I'll just go and I can get in my car and I can drive home. And I'm absolutely fine with that because usually I'll have plans or something the next morning that I know I want to feel fresh and, and awake for. The second thing I would say is this, when we have placed all the emphasis on the only time in our life that we have fun is when we're getting drunk and we're socializing, we have missed out on so much and so many opportunities for joy and fun and contentment and happiness because everything has been fixed on in my head, I've told myself the story. I only have fun when I'm getting pissed with my mates at that lunch, at that bar, at that barbecue, at that wedding. When we take that out, what I have found is, and I know the ladies that I coach have found, that there are moments of immense joy and happiness that can come at any point in the day. And we're not just waiting for that period of time when we've got a glass in our hand. So I would say that now... I find joy and happiness in things that were always there, but I just wasn't looking for them. Mm. So now I can have such immense moments, like really emotional moments of feeling so full and so happy when I'm lying on the sofa with my kids, cuddling up, watching a movie, eating popcorn, and I don't want to be anywhere else. And I am just in the moment, fully present with them. I never experienced that when I was drinking. So I would say that you can still have fun and go out and, and do all of those things. But what you get on top of that is 
you just get so many moments where you can just get hit with, wow, I feel so bloody grateful to be alive today. And that happens to me. It can be out when I'm walking. It can be out when I'm running. It can be when I'm driving somewhere. And I can just suddenly feel so overcome with emotion that I don't have to wait till the Friday night drinks to get any joy. I can get it right here, right now. Yeah. And, and that's what we don't realize because I never realized that because all I was ever doing was waiting until I was pouring wine down my throat to think that now I'm allowed to feel happy. Yeah. So you were waiting for it. Took it away, I can find yeah. the happiness at any time. That's right. You're waiting for your next hit. You're waiting for your next injection of, you know, of alcohol or for other people it could be food as well, you know, like there's a plethora of things that can go and drugs and things like that, but you're waiting for your next hit because that's the only time you can be happy and that's the only time you can be joyful. Whereas when you start to strip that back and ask yourself those questions again around or question what's going on, and I know that's a big part for you, is when you start to question alcohol and whether it's actually adding value to your life or not, that's when you know that you need to have a look at it. So when you start to question those things and you come back in and you kind of go, I can actually find joy in other areas of my life. Like I can find joy in sitting with my kids, eating popcorn, watching a movie and be completely present with them because I'm not getting up to get my next glass of wine or I'm not going out to getting the kids to go off and to get that beer because I need that next drink. So, yeah, yeah, you can be completely present. It's a beautiful gift to give them too. Absolutely, absolutely. I'd say that my relationship with my kids has definitely changed. I'm closer to them, yeah. way closer to them, because I'm connected with them. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, they still piss me off at times. <laughs> but it's still like I'm still a bum, right? I still yeah. get cross when they don't tidy up after themselves. But we're just connected on it. I would say it's a different level. Mm. Um, and, and, so, and I think going back to what you were saying just then about people's journeys being very different when they stop drinking, um, everyone's journey is different. Some people decide to stop and they never have another drink again. Some people like me went through two years of moderating, taking extended breaks, going back to drinking, thinking I'm fixed now. Like, and that two years of living in that was, it was hell, but it was also what I needed to do to get to the point where I was ready to stop. So it is completely different for everyone. But the question is never how much were you drinking, which is what loads of people ask me because they want to know the magic number. What's the number that I was drinking so that they know not to drink that much and then they're okay? And I say it's never about what the number was. It's about how was alcohol making me feel? And when alcohol started taking more than it was giving, then it was time for me to change my relationship with alcohol. Um, And I think if most people ask themselves that question, have I ever questioned how much I'm drinking? Have I started making rules around my drinking? Mm. Have I intended to have two glasses and ended up having two bottles? Does that happen quite a lot? Do I make a rule every morning that I'm not going to drink that night and by five o'clock find myself that I've got nothing left in the tank and I'm just opening a glass of wine on autopilot? If all of that is starting to happen, then that to me is when perhaps we need to start questioning our relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned before about you you feel more connected now to your children, but I want to offer you and perhaps your listeners, the, our listeners, your listeners, the listeners, um, that you are more connected to yourself. And so your connection, yeah, your connection with your children can only grow through the connection that you created with yourself. And you've done that through releasing all the binds that you've had, you know, those attachments to alcohol because you've been able to effectively reinvent yourself and go, who am I now? What do I want now? How do I want to show up in the world? And start to ask those deeper questions and then go out and find the answers to those questions. 
Yeah, because I was completely disconnected to myself when I was drinking. It's interesting because I read a book recently that said when you stop drinking, you resort to being the emotional age that you were when you started drinking. Because if you started drinking at 15 and that's been your coping mechanism for stress, anger, hurt, pain, all of those emotions that we want to distract from, if we have been teaching ourselves from quite a young age that alcohol numbs that feeling, it makes it go away, and that's the thing that we have turned to for all of that time, which I most definitely had done, you know what it's like, you come home, you've had a really stressful day, I need a glass of wine. That's That's the narrative that we're telling ourselves in our head. Well, how about we don't have that glass of wine and we sit with the feeling and we wait for it to pass. We acknowledge it's there. We, we inquire as to why it's there. What else can we do to settle it? That's what I've had to do. That's what doing the work is. A lot in, the, in sobriety, you hear a lot of you need to do the work. And doing the work is actually starting to be able to sit with your emotions mm. as opposed to numb them the minute you feel an uncomfortable emotion. Yeah. And it can be really bloody hard at first because we're not used to it. As, as human beings, particularly in this decade that we're living now, we are used to instant gratification and we are used to being able to disguise and numb and disconnect from our emotions the minute we feel something that we don't like. Yep. And so that's a big part of the first early days is it can feel like an emotional roller coaster. The other reason for that is that our dopamine receptors have been completely screwed by alcohol being the thing that sets them off. So at the very beginning, when we first stop drinking, it's really common that they call it the pink cloud. And when you first stop drinking, your dopamine receptors um, have been so reliant on alcohol to set them off that they don't have alcohol coming in anymore. So they kind of go, whoa, free reign, I can go and do this all myself. And, And our brain floods us with dopamine. So in the first couple of months, it can be quite normal to feel high as a kite and to be like, whoa, this is amazing. My life is incredible. Why have I never done this before? And then we can go through a period of suddenly the brain goes, whoa, that was way too much dopamine. I need to rein that back in a little bit. And then we can start to feel a little bit like, oh, no, okay. I wasn't sure about this. And it just takes a little while for our brain to kind of reach that balance where we are having regulated and standard responses to things that are happening in our life but it takes quite a while because if we've just been using alcohol drugs food like whatever it has been for quite a long time it does take a while to settle so I always say to people in the early days it can be really shit the first month and we feel like we're detoxing we can feel incredibly tired sometimes really nauseous a bit flat a bit like ugh. By the second month, we can sometimes be a bit like, whoa, oh my God, this is amazing. I've never felt so good. Look at that cloud. Look at those trees. This is all incredible. And then by the third month, it can be a bit like, oh, well, this is a bit of shit. And, and, so, and this is all a bit of a, a common um, pattern. And this is what I'm really passionate about telling people because quite often people can get to that third month when the dopamine started to rein itself back in a little bit. And then they're like, oh, well, this is rubbish. This isn't what I signed up for. And they don't know what's going on physiologically and why all of this is happening. Um, And sometimes they can then go, well, this isn't worth it. I'm going to go back to drinking. So it's different for everyone. And that's why I feel so passionate about sharing what is the path and what is happening so that people can go, oh, okay, I've just got to ride this wave a little bit and then I know it's going to settle. So it's important to have that information. 
Yeah, totally. And so what happens after that third month then? So, you know, like the second month sounded like we were in Finding Nemo and they're on the on the um, the ride with the um, tortoises and coming down to Australia, like, you know, this is gnarly, man, like we're having a great time. And then you get that sort of drop off and you're like, you're starting to question yourself and that's where a support group comes into play, isn't it? Because you really need those people around you to go, no, this is normal. It's okay. Yes. Yeah. Keep, yeah. keep moving forward. Take one step at a time. And you may have you may feel like you're taking one step forward and two step back, two steps back for a little bit, but then you can start to launch pad again. So yeah. is that where the sort of month four, five, six sort of come yeah. into play? So lots of people say just get through the first 90 days. The first 90 days can be a real roller coaster because our emotions are just a bit all over the place. We're navigating so many firsts. It can be our first social nights out. It can be our first wedding. It might be our first um, dinner party. It's um, you know, we, we can feel really clunky and really awkward, like having to navigate sober sex maybe for the first time. Like there are so many different things that we're doing in those first few months for the first time. Yeah. Then once you get to 90 days, things just settle a little bit and we start to get a little bit more comfortable in what we're doing. We start to get um, a bit more self-assured. And then um, we can still have some, in the world of sobriety, um, and it is actually a thing, it's called PAWS, P-A-W-S, which is post-alcohol withdrawal syndrome. And this can happen at any point, and it is all to do with those dopamine receptors. It just gets less and less as time goes on. But you can still find yourself at month seven just suddenly going, oh, okay, I'm feeling... Um, because if you've been a steady drinker like I have been for 20-plus years, it ain't going to all just suddenly fix itself in two weeks. You know, it does take quite a while physiologically for our body to cope with things. But also, we've, we've got to be kind to ourselves because like I said before we can be suddenly experiencing emotions that we've just numbed and we're suddenly dealing with these emotions and it can be really hard and then on top of that you might also be dealing with real situations that can be quite hurtful and quite painful um, because we're not drinking so it might be that you find out a group of friends haven't invited you to something that they've all gone to and that's not because they're being nasty they probably think oh, you're not going to want to come because you're not drinking. You're not going to want to sit with us while we're all getting smashed. Whereas you're thinking, I'm still me. I can still come if I'm not drinking. I'm still fun. And so there can be a bit of disconnect. And so it can just be quite hard navigating all of those different things in the first little while. So it's just really important to be kind to yourself. But that's why having a support group and being in a community with other women who are going through the same things is the absolute game changer. Like for for everyone I know who's done my alcohol-free challenges this year, I did one in January and one in April, and I've got one in July. And for myself, having been in similar um, support groups and challenges um, as well, I know I could never have done it if I hadn't been around other women. Yeah. And I think you've hit the nail on the head with a a lot of people, you know, they, they start to get uninvited to things. They start to get, you know, just not not welcome so therefore they're going well I'm not fun because they don't want me anymore or I'm not liked and so all of those inner child issues that drove them to alcohol to start with potentially especially as a teenager where you're kind of going I want to be part of the fun crowd I want to be doing the regular thing and they're drinking so therefore I have to drink and and get out there um, all start to come up and so that's one aspect that we could talk about, but there's also you've brought it up again around the emotions and being able to sit with our emotions and knowing that it's safe for us to sit with our emotions. 
um, one of the, the hardest thing we can ever have to go through in life is actually sitting with our emotions. So if you can sit with them, allow them to go through you or move through you, because they say it takes only sort of 90 seconds for an emotion to fully process through you, allow that space and then go, okay, what do I want to feel now? Like, where do I want to go? What do I want to do? Um, and if you've never done that before, that's some scary work. So having that community makes a massive difference. Absolutely. And the other thing that we do in our community is we share um, advice of the things that work for us. We start building what we call the sober toolkit. Okay, well, if I'm not reaching for a glass of wine, what am I reaching for? And we can all share, well, this is what worked for me. I had a craving and then I did this, I did that. And everybody's kind of bouncing off each other and and sharing those ideas. And something I do for something else that you and I have talked about is that after people have taken the decision to to remove alcohol and I don't expect anyone to say in the first few days right that's it I'm doing it forever I think that forever can feel too big um I often start with women with 30 days and then we extend to 100 days and then we kind of see how we feel from there and then go for the year but what comes up for people is well once I've removed alcohol I want to go on this journey of self-growth and self-development because I'm starting to get to know well who am I without alcohol and what are my values? What are my strengths and what's important to me? And so I've developed a coaching program that specifically addresses all of these questions. It's an eight-week program that goes through all of this when we first remove um, alcohol. And I do again, I do it as group coaching because we're all on that journey together. Mm-hmm. And so the friendships that these women form with each other while they are experimenting and exploring all of this together is really, really valuable in not feeling alone because sometimes in your real-life friendship group, you still love your friends. They're still the most important people to you, but you can feel really lonely if you are the only one who's making this decision to stop drinking and, and they're all still, you know, planning their Friday nights out and, and that's their priority. And that's not to say that's wrong, but our priorities have changed. Yeah. And then we can feel really weird and emotional and lonely. And so do we, again, the group coaching is something you know, connection is one of my core values. And so everything I do is around creating connection. Um, but one of the main things what I was going to say then is that what we do is it's about, well, how am I going to manage my emotions? Because I haven't really got a toolkit to manage them. And I don't think it's any one thing. It's not like, oh, I have to do yoga every day. Or it's not, it, it's the, the, it's life's work is working out what are the things that I'm doing to make me and my mind a happy place to be. And it's lots of things. It's am I getting enough sleep? Am I eating well? Am I exercising? Am I getting outside and getting vitamin D? Am I getting connection with someone that's important to me? Am I giving back in some way? Am I doing, am I learning something? Like it's different for everyone, but this is what I work with the women to do is to build the operating system that is their operating system. That if they are doing this stuff as consistently as they can be, then that creates a happy mind and that quietens the inner critic and quietens that negative self-talk. And also fills that hole, like you said, that they're looking for personal development and who am I now, like what's my next kind of thing. It's like they've, you know, left this hole in themselves or opened up this hole, I should say, around I don't drink anymore so or I drink less and therefore I've got this space and this freedom of my mind to think about the things that I actually do want to bring into my life. 
So then it becomes a, you know, it's a discovery path. Like you said, it's unique to everybody. It's, it doesn't have to be yoga. It can be a walk or it can be, you know, catching up with girlfriends and a different set of girlfriends or whatever that looks like, but being open to experimenting and not being hard on yourself while you're doing that and going, oh, that didn't work. Maybe I should go back to alcohol because that worked every time. You're like, actually it didn't work. That's why you're on this journey. So yeah, being able to move through um, adversity that you're going to hit along the way as well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I'm really passionate about is when we take alcohol out, we've got to make sure we're adding in. Otherwise we are not going to successfully stay alcohol free Yeah. because if we just remove alcohol and don't replace that hole with something else, then it's, we're just hanging on for dear life. And, and then we feel constantly deprived. We constantly feel like we're missing out. Whereas if we remove alcohol and then we start adding in with whatever it is, it tends to be, not always, but for a lot of women, it tends to be a journey of self-discovery because they become curious about themselves. Because most of the women I work with, it seems to be a really natural, normal time is in your 40s where you've just gone, okay, all of those, that, that toolbox of alcohol it worked up until now and now it's just suddenly not working and I think that's hormonal as well and I think that is because I didn't, never used to wake up at three o'clock every morning every time I drank but as soon as I hit my 40s I did even if it was just two glasses of wine I would still wake up at 3am not able to get back to sleep now I know that alcohol changes um, so many enzymes in the liver that really impacts estrogen dominance like there, there is it's all interlinked Mm. but no one had you know told me any of this stuff before so I think in our 40s it really is a common time to decide to to remove alcohol and start going well who am I without booze the other thing that is always beautiful to watch is a lot of women when they stop drinking they've suddenly got so much time because they're not pissed or getting over being pissed or planning to get pissed or hung over or whatever so you have all this spare time and so I have watched women go back to uni like I did I have watched women take up musical theatre and start being in productions every week. I've seen women take up horse riding. Lots of people go back to the hobbies that they might have had as a kid um, and start exploring all of that. And that just is what, going back to what we were talked about at the beginning, about what do you do for fun when you stop drinking? You actually find that you get such genuine, authentic fun from doing the stuff that you always enjoyed doing. But you just forgot somewhere along the way. And we just suddenly went, oh, Fun equals getting pissed. That's the only time I have fun. Whereas actually there are so many more things that we can do. Yeah. And I loved how you touched on time because we it's another story that we tell ourselves that we don't have enough time. But then when you have a look at, or money as well, I don't have enough money for that. But you think about how much time you spent on planning to get drunk or planning a night out and then get it having the night out and then recovering from the night out or how much money that went into that investment um chris had he's had some um we've got an airplane so a, a micro light and um he's had a friend do some work on it and it was just a suggestion can you get him a, cu- a couple of packets of smokes to say thank you doesn't want money but a couple of smokes packets of smokes fine that's his thing and that's what he does so Chris went I'll just get him a carton remembering back in the day how much that cost the carton was going to be over $400 like nearly $500 and Chris was like oh my gosh and so when you start to add up those sorts of things you're like what now that I've got this time back and I've got this money back what can I do with my what do I want to do with my life so can you tell us a little bit about that journey that those women go on around that self-discovery because 
getting to that point where they're willing to sort of pick up the next thing, is it because they've given up alcohol and they kind of go, I've done it or I've cut back and I've done it and I'm really proud of myself, so now what's next? Do they get excited and go, let's jump in, or is there a bit of nerves going on there as well? A bit of both, and I think it depends on each woman's story and their, um, you know, what, what brought them to this point where they've decided to remove the alcohol. But so I have this group coaching program called Rediscovering Me and it covers, because that's what it is. It's rediscovering who I am without alcohol. Um, and so not everybody in the program is completely sober, but they have all in some way changed their relationship with alcohol and have now gone on this journey of self-inquiry. Um, and so one of the first things we do is um, I've got a values workbook and we kind of go back to, because very few of us have ever even asked ourselves, what are my values? What's really important to me? Because I think when we stop drinking, we start to notice when we're triggered and we start to notice when things might sit with us uncomfortably, but we don't always know why. And I think it is really important to come back to what are my values and maybe that can give us a clue. And I've seen some real aha moments with women in the program who, when they've done their values, they've been able to go, well, no wonder I hate my job. It's so not aligned to my values. Or no wonder I'm really triggered by that person because their values really compromise mine and when I have to try and work with them it's really hard because I'm having to compromise what what are my core values so it's really important to do that I also do work around what are the people in my life and how do they influence me because um you would have heard yourself like we are the sum of the five people that we spend most of our time with and so who are those people and what are their personality traits and how do they influence me and do I need to set some boundaries we do a bit of work around boundaries and how we can start to, I think when we're drinking, we don't have any boundaries. And so again, that's something that we start to look at. We look at um, our strengths, our tendencies. We look at our limiting beliefs. So what are the stories that I tell myself? And how can I start really kind of questioning that and reframing that? Um, we do a whole week on self-compassion and how do I talk to myself? Mm. Um, and how can I start to change that dialogue? We do a lot on manifestation, on visualization, on affirmations, on what are the little, little things that I can start doing consistently to make myself more open to what I want to start happening. Because that's the thing that I find happens is when we start being open and start considering what else we're open to in our life, things start to come to us. I think that when we're drinking, particularly at the level I was, my life was, and my world was very small, very, very small, because it was centered around when I was drinking, when I could get back from driving so that I could start drinking. Um, and it's not everything. Drinking was not everything to me. As I shared in the last podcast, I wasn't drinking every single day, but it was a big part of my life and it was a big part of my social life. And I didn't really, I had, you know, hung out with the same people I did the same things and what I think is that since I've removed alcohol I've opened myself up and my world has become so big um, and I'm so curious about so much and so I've got so many books on the go because I just want to keep learning I'm constantly signing up for courses and programs because I want to keep developing myself and I'm curious to know why am I the way that I am and how if, if there's something about myself and the way that I react to things and I don't like it how can I change that what can I do mm -hmm. and I start to take a more 
I feel like I'm in charge of my life a lot more and I'm in charge of how I respond to things a lot more. Whereas before it just felt like everything was out of my control and it was just Groundhog Day of just get up, do the same old shit every single day and repeat. Whereas now I feel like I'm in the driving seat a little bit more. And that's what I think a lot of the women in the program find is that they want to start being in that driving seat. Um, Week seven, we do um, a complete self-audit. So there's 20 questions that... I'm pretty sure most people have never asked themselves before. And it goes deep because we can't expect to make change if we don't uncomfortably ask ourselves the questions that bring stuff up in us. Mm. Um, Because we can't change if we Mm. don't even have the awareness around what needs to change. The very first step is awareness. Yeah, totally. And being comfortable or being being aware that that's even a question that I need to ask myself and then being okay with making that deep dive and that's why having support around you is really important again to deep diving so that you've got someone holding your hand because you don't want to do that by yourself otherwise no. it can go yeah very south um, very yeah. quickly and, and that could create lots of other challenges for yourself. So, yeah, taking that time out for yourself is really important, but making sure that you do it with others um, and grab, jumping into those spaces that are safe for you, like building those communities and, and having that. So you mentioned before that in the previous podcast that you had friendship groups and it was, you know, you would have afternoon tea or a play date and there was always champagne with that. Are those friends still in your life now or has with your world opening up, has that evolved for you? No, absolutely, they're still in my life. I think it just, it goes through a period of adjustment. I was reading um, a book called We Are the Luckiest by Laura McCown, and she talks about the fact that there's no rule book. No one knows how to deal with it because you know that these people are still important to you, but everyone's got to adjust to this a really big change. If what you've done all the time with those people has been centred around getting pissed, and then you decide not to do that anymore, you have to navigate that. And sometimes it can be clunky and sometimes it can be awkward. And I have watched some women discover that they didn't have in common with the friendship group what they thought they did. And actually when they removed the alcohol, there wasn't the same depth of friendship for them. Um, And they've gone on to make new friends. What I would say for me is that in the most part, I have, our friendship has changed, but um, it's deeper in some ways with some of my friends because I feel like I'm not really interested in just sitting around getting pissed, talking shit now. I'm more, I like going deep. I like having real authentic, real conversations about stuff that matters. Um, and I do that now in a way that I never did before. Um, and I think that definitely something that I would say has happened to me as a result of not drinking is that I do live my life now a lot more aligned to my values Um, and I'm less judgmental of others. I'm less opinionated about what others should and shouldn't be doing in that way. It's more just about me living my life and having respect for how other people live their life. As I've said to you all along, I'm not in any way do I think that alcohol's a a really bad thing and no one should ever drink again. That is not my story, and I'm happily will be the sober driver with my girlfriends while they're smashed in the back of the car talking shit. And I love it. And I still like, we had a great night out for my birthday recently. We had such a giggle. Um, So that doesn't bother me at all. That's not my story. My story though is you don't have to hit rock bottom to decide to stop drinking. And if you are struggling in some way, it's okay to choose to live a life without alcohol. And I'm 
here to share my story to encourage other women to know that there is another way if alcohol is not serving them anymore as it was for me yeah so can you take us through some of the benefits of your 20 the 31 day program it's 31 days isn't it the the dry july is going to be can you talk about some of the benefits that people will see on the other side or potentially through the program that they're going to get just by doing one month free alcohol yeah and it's different for everybody because I've watched some people take um, do one of my challenges. And I'm so happy to say that most of the ladies that did my January challenge are um, still alcohol free. Yeah. Um, lots of the ladies that did my April one are still alcohol free. So I must be doing something right um, because they're there and they're really kind of getting the benefit out of it. Um, but what it's different for everyone. So And it depends on how much you were drinking because mm-hmm. everybody's different. Um, so some people will find after a week that they bounce back and start feeling amazing. Some people find it can take a month before they really come through that. What is really common in the first few weeks is to just sleep a lot. Because if we've been so affected by alcohol for such a long time, it really does affect our sleep. Um, and we can just be really, really tired. Um, and so sleep is something that I always say, just sleep. If that's what you need to do, then just sleep. Like, I can remember in the early days, for me, I was sleeping 10 hours a night easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I loved it. I was like, oh, my God, there is not a better feeling than getting into bed. And it was the middle of winter when I stopped. So I always timed it quite right. So it was always okay to go to bed at like half past eight. Um, and I would just get into bed and go, oh, welcome to 10 hours of blissful sleep. So for me, that was always um, a great part of it. But it can be really common to feel quite nauseous in the first couple of days and get headaches and stuff because that's our body going through alcohol withdrawal and that's a detox thing. But more often than not, by the time we get to the end of the month, um, we have started to find that we've got more energy, that we've got better sleep. Our mood can be a lot more positive. We'll have done four weekends alcohol-free. So we've had that chance to go, oh, my God, look at all the things I can do in a weekend when I'm not hung over or spending half the time at the pub getting pissed. And so it's, you know, gives you that chance to explore that time, to be connected to the kids, to to get up and not feel rough when you're going to bloody netball at half past six on a Saturday morning, like I have to do at the moment. So yeah, there is definitely all of those benefits. But I would say that the biggest thing, you notice I get everybody on day one to take a photo of their face, like quite a close-up selfie, and then we do the same on the last day. And the distance is amazing. So it's, it's really interesting to see how much alcohol bloats our face. Um, so even someone who is really slim, their face can often be very bloated by alcohol. So by the end of the 31 days, just the face will just look so much less bloated and the eyes can just look so shiny. Like everyone's skin just looks amazing by the end of it. Some people find that they lose shitloads of weight straight away. Others find that they don't. Um, and again, I always say don't compare because everyone's journey is different. Um, sometimes people just immediately replace alcohol with um, sugar. Yeah. And and I'd say at the beginning, there is no right or wrong. This is, if this is going to be a long-term change, we'll just go slow. If, if, if it is just about eating all the knobs and the M&Ms at the beginning then that's what you need to do if it just stops you from drinking yeah um so but but as I've said um and then what I'm doing for this challenge is um most days there's a live video so I go in and I do um I mean I always go in saying right it's going to be 10 minutes and it always ends up being about 45 minutes once I get going I find I've got so much to say so we talk about everything to do um and there'll be a topic every day so it can be 
why can't I moderate? If I take this break from alcohol, um, will I be able to moderate at the end of it? That's a subject that there's a lot to say, <laughs> believe me. Um, I talk about shame because I think a lot of us can feel really ashamed by our previous drinking and, and how do we get over that and move past it? We talk about managing our relationships with our partners if they're still drinking and we're not. We talk about managing peer pressure. We talk about managing pressure at work if there's social functions. We talk about dealing with changes in our menstrual cycle, which can be quite common. We talk about sober sex. We talk about um, the difference in our, um, our libido, for example, can really change. Um, we talk about the, the five pillars of sobriety and starting to build what our five pillars are, the things mm. that we know that we need to be doing that help us um, through through the, the, the first few months, especially as sobriety. We talk about triggers and what are the things that we notice really trigger us. Just to be curious and go, oh, that's interesting. And as soon as that happened, my immediate thought was, I want a glass of wine. That's okay. We're not trying to get rid of that thought but we're just noticing it and going, oh, okay, so now I know that when I speak to my mum, that that makes me want to have a glass of wine or whatever the trigger is, because then we can be more prepared. We talk about cravings. We talk about, for most women, it's between five and seven o'clock. And that is the witching hour of when we really, really want a drink. So what are the things that we can do then? We talk about the pros and cons of alcohol-free alternatives. We talk, yeah, and we cover absolutely everything that you can imagine, um, I also did quite a few guest interviews, so I've brought in some of the leading sobriety authors um, from across the globe. I've had um, interviews with people in the States, in the UK, in New Zealand, in Australia. Um, and then, as I said, this time I've put together um, a workbook, which has got quite a few questions for people to start reflecting on as they go through this process. Um, and then also a book of resources. So in that, I have got the best podcast episodes that have really helped me, the books mm. that have really helped me, the TED Talks that have really helped me, um, some of the other um, you know, resources that I've built up over my period of time that have started to form, okay, this is what has supported me through my two and a bit years of sobriety. But, I mean, I say it was two and a bit years, but really... My journey started April 2017 because that was when I took my first 100 days off alcohol. And that was, for me, the beginning of noticing who Sarah was with alcohol and who Sarah was without alcohol. Mm. Um, and it was that first glimpse of, well, actually, I think I quite like this, Sarah. I quite like this girl that is a bit happier, a bit more content, a bit less harsh on herself. Um, all of those things. Um, and that's what I think you get in that month of booze is you start to get to know, perhaps for the first time for some of us, a glimpse of who we are without alcohol. Mm. So you're definitely taking people deep because a lot of people do say dry July, like the general, I think there's a, you know, like one for for some sort of fundraiser or whatever it is. Um, or oh, there's February as well. A friend of mine just takes off February of alcohol. But you're actually asking well, giving people the opportunity to go deep so that on the other side, it's not about going back to what they were doing before. It's finding the yeah. new version of themselves on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and look, one month is just the tip of the iceberg, but it's a great place to start. Yeah. And like We've you said. We've got to start somewhere. 
Yeah, and you said in the previous version, uh, pre- previous interview around what's one year. If you think you're going to live for 80 years, what's one year without alcohol? It's nothing. Yeah. It's a drop in the ocean. Exactly. So you put it into a month and go, okay, let's start there. Let's start with yeah. day one and just start building up from that space. Because you have to, because you can't start. Very few people can sit there and go, that's it, I'm never drinking again. Hmm. For the first time, if they do, that will usually be because they've gone through a few, like I had done when I stopped finally. I kind of knew that that was going to be it forever, but I wouldn't have been able to do that the first time. At the very beginning, it was just, right, I'm taking a month off. When, my, when I first stopped, I, I planned to take 21 days, but I felt so bloody good. I just kept going, and that's when I got to um, 100 days. Yeah. And because it was just like, why would I stop when I'm feeling so great? And this is what gets me is there are so many... As, as a nation and as, as, a, as a generation, everything we do is for a finite amount of time. So we go and do a 12-week program at the gym where we eat really healthy. We go to the gym six times a week. We lose seven kilos. We've dropped two dress sizes. And then at the end of the 12 weeks, we just go back to everything we were doing before. And then we put all the weight back on and feel shit about ourselves. And it's the same with doing these alcohol-free challenges is – it's absolutely brilliant to get that time off and to get the, the starting blocks. But really, if we want to make long-term changes, if we're feeling really good in ourselves, mm-hmm. why do we go back to doing the things that were making us feel shit when we know that that was what was making us feel shit? And that's what intrigues me so much about the human race is why do we do the things that we do when we know that the outcome is not what we want? Yeah, And so, and that's where... I come in with the sobriety coaching is around let's start to the, what we do on day one in my 30 day program is um, let's build the vision. Hmm. Let, let's build the vision of who you want to be. And what does the future you really look like? Because so few of us ever ask ourselves that question. Yeah. We are just in groundhog day. Yeah. We just get up, go to work, go to the gym, look after the kids, drink wine hmm. and repeat. And that is it. Whereas actually if we sit there and go, well, if I carry on like this, where am I in a year's time? And how does that make me feel? Versus if that's not what I want, what needs to change? Yeah. And, and that's when we can start to get clear on, most people will say, I want more energy. I want more time. I want to feel healthier and feel better in myself. Tick, tick, tick for taking away alcohol. Yeah, it's a, it's an easy win if you think about it from that perspective, and the reason one of the reasons why people don't um, do, you know do those twelve week programs and then go back is because they haven't set up that vision at the start. They've just yeah. gone into action and gone well. If I restrict, yeah. if I stop eating this thing and I and I push myself hard at the gym or whatever I'm doing, then I can do that for twelve weeks and I can hold my breath and I can get through but then I'm going to go back to what I was doing before because I don't know why I was making this change in the first place or yeah. it was just to lose those, you know, two dress sizes and then I've, I've ticked that box. But when you know how well you feel on the other side, yeah. why would you want to go back? It's just setting up that vision at the, at the start and having that awareness and spending that time with yourself and you do a lot of that from what I can hear through, through the programs so that people actually can set themselves up for success. Because it's very different taking a month off booze at a time of year when everybody's doing it and it's kind of acceptable. You know, dry dry is a great time to start because lots and lots of people are doing it at the same time. 
Um, so you don't have so many of the excuses to have to go, oh, I'm not drinking, or you know, you don't get that same pressure. You've got a good excuse up your sleeve. Um, but if you actually do want to think about making a more sustained lifestyle choice, you have to go deeper, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. It's the same in my space. So, yeah, exactly. You have to go deeper. You have to understand your why behind what you're doing. Exactly. Um, and it may be, like you said, like might be just getting to know yourself a little bit better without alcohol and then you see all the other benefits and then you kind of go, well, maybe now I can change that why. What's the next why? And start growing. Yeah. 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 And then become self-development and then you're off to uni and you're doing this course and you're reading that book and it just grows exactly. out from there. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I could have looked at my in this spot where I am now three years ago and predicted what my life would look like in three years I couldn't have ever even begun to imagine this yeah. would be like this like I said to you before after I finished talking to you I'm going into the city to meet with one of the top mining companies in Perth to talk about the impact of alcohol on mental health and motivation in the workplace and to start talking to them about some of their corporate functions not just being based around people getting pissed together all the time yeah. I mean, to be able to have the voice to go and do something like that, I feel really, you know, couldn't have ever imagined that I would mm. be doing this kind of stuff. And it's so, you know, as you know, I'm so passionate about it because it's about choice, but it's also about being able to go, it's okay. I know it's scary, but let me hold your hand and let me show you that it's not half as scary when you've got someone with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you for everything you shared today. How can people get on your um, Dry July? How can they find out about it? Oh, so just onto my website, um, www.slrwellness.com, and all the details are on there. Um, and my Facebook group is the Women's Wellbeing Collective. For anyone in Perth who's listening, I've got a meetup group for women in Perth who want to meet and socialise without alcohol. So that's called mm-hmm. Perth Over Social. Um, and then my Facebook and Instagram is just at SLR Wellness. Awesome. Can we do this again after dry July and you can come back and share all the success stories and Absolutely. everything yeah, you've learned along the way? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm looking forward to this one because the last two challenges that I did were both 21 days. So this is the first time we're doing it for the whole 31. Um, but I've got lots of, um, lots of resources to, um, to support all the ladies. Awesome. Well, all the best. I'm sure it will be amazing. And I know your ladies will be fabulous and fantastic and and really get some benefits out of it. So thank you for doing the work that you're doing in the world. And thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me on again. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. And I have a couple of small favors to ask. If you love this episode, please share it with someone you love and you know the episode will resonate with. Also, to help spread the word about my podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave me a review. I love hearing your thoughts about my podcast and what's resonating with you. Plus, it helps us share my podcast with the rest of the world, which is amazing. Finally, thank you so much for being here. I'm super grateful for you and I'm truly honored you've spent your time with me. Let's keep rising. Let's keep growing because it's totally possible to live a life you love every day right where you are. See you in the next episode.